Welcome to the Rad Lab podcast presented by the chemistry department at Tennessee Tech University. I am Dr. David Dan. This is Dr. Dale Enzer. We combined have over 50 years of radiochemistry experience, and hopefully this series of podcasts you'll be able to learn many things about radiochemistry and nuclear science as we go through all the way through World War II into the present. Uh, what are we going to be talking to talking about today, Dale? Well, uh, I thought we'd go back to the what I consider the beginning, and that is talk about uh, the discovery of X-rays. Mm-hmm. Um, back in in the late 1800s, um, many people thought all the discoveries had been made. In fact, there was ideas that they would shut down the patent office because they didn't think there was anything new that was to be discovered. And so. In November of 1895, uh, Rinkin, William Rinkin, uh was finishing a term as the president of the University of Würzburg and had not been doing a lot of research at the time. He was a theoretical physicist uh, and had published in a number of papers on the uh, uh, thermal conductivity of solids and liquids, specific heats of gases. But uh, as he was um, getting into something, he, he decided to get into something new, and the, the idea that t- at that time was investigation of uh, cathode rays. And later these were shown to be uh, electrons. But uh, it was a sort of a, a visual thing because you could uh, fill a glass tube and under low pressure of different gases, you exerted a high volume uh, discharge through the tube and you got different colors, fluorescence and so forth. Well, um, at that time, people did their own work. And there wasn't a group of people as you now have a lot. And so they were also very um, jealous of their work. So they did it in secret to make sure no one would uh, scoop them. So uh, Rankin had a lab upstairs in the building where he lived. um, And he had an assistant. And the assistant was charged with, during the day with um, getting pumping down a, and getting low vacuum and building up uh, high voltages on the discharge, yeah. uh, but never was allowed in while Renkin was working. Never. Never. So, so everything was, they thought everything was discovered. Right. So why were they so secret? If secretive, <laughs> right? If they thought everything was yeah. discovered, wouldn't everyone kind of? Just well, paranoia, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, and and again, uh, at that time, you had to establish precedent, and the idea that you got it into print, and you got a date associated with the paper, mm-hmm. so that that gave you precedence for that discovery. Oh, so only if it got into print, that's the precedence. Right. So it, it's not like now yeah. where you can have notebooks with dates and everything, and yeah, no and things like uh, that. And so on November 8th, 1895, um, uh, Renkin went through his normal day. Now, his normal day is different from what you and I consider a normal day. 
he would have a, a lecture in the morning. He would um, have lunch or dinner in the midday, and that was their main meal. And usually after that, he might have a nap <laughs> uh, or maybe play uh, a game of something or mm-hmm. uh, so forth, a uh, game of cards or some sort of uh, thing. And then um, he would go to the lab and work in the lab until late in the evening, say eight or nine o'clock, and mm-hmm. then have a, a small meal before he went to bed. Wow. That was sort of his schedule. Well, I wish the nap thing was still around. <laughs> yeah, well, wait till you get older. It may be. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, what Renkin was wanting to do is change his research to looking at the uh, cathode ray tubes. And a colleague uh, had published uh, or shown a little bit where he had replaced the, uh, uh, he had put a thin aluminum window in the cathode ray tube and was actually seeing these rays outside of the tube mm-hmm. for a very short distance. And Renkin's idea was, well, if I could improve that and get them outside, then I could do all sorts of experiments with them. And so that was sort of the the driving force for him to do this. So he had, he would wait until uh, dark, which was around in, in November of that year, it was somewhere around 4.30 in uh, his part of Germany. Uh, then it let his eyes adjust to the darkness and, and completely blacked out the room. So you're talking probably 30 more minutes and had built a, a cover over his uh, cathode ray tube uh, so that he wouldn't get the color, he wouldn't get the light from the uh, cathode rays inside the tube. Um, <clears throat> and so he was experimenting with this and noticed that about nine feet away from him, he was seeing a light and he didn't understand it but he was finally able to show that this light was directly related to the cathode ray tube. Yeah. But it was appearing at a, a, a not in the direction of where the cathode rays go. Oh, okay. It was appearing at 90 degree angle away mm-hmm. from the cathode rays. Gotcha. And he, it turned out that this was a piece of paper that he had painted with barium cyanide, which is a fluorescent material. And so he thought first he was he was visualizing this and he didn't think it was true. Yeah. But he was able to turn the uh, switch to the cathode ray tube on and off, and the fluorescence appeared and disappeared, appeared and disappeared. Mm-hmm. So he could relate it back to that. Well, how lucky is that, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> well, it it you know first of all it was lucky he spotted it nine feet away yeah. if you're concentrating on what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he even didn't, he, he, he was so intent on this that for the next six weeks, all he did was work every night up at, in his lab looking at and trying to identify the, 
what these rays were. Mm -hmm. Now, you come to the question of what to name them. Yeah. Well, he realized from his uh, discussion or his investigation that these were rays similar to UV light. Mm -hmm. And so he thought initially, well, there's UV, and then the next letter would be W. But he thought that was too close. And then he remembered that X in math is the unknown. And so he then came up with the term X-ray. Wow. So that's how X-ray came about. That's the term. Wow. Um, so um, what he began to do in investigating the X-rays is um, he, he wanted to measure, have a measure of how far these uh, X-rays went. And he needed a very... Uh, very accurate measure of the distance. So guess what he brought with him to measure the distance that these x-rays go? A measuring tape? <laughs> Two decks of cards. Two decks of cards. Yeah, play cards. <laughs> yeah. Because they have a specific, you know, they're very, uh, they're identical mm -hmm. in nature, have identical um, with, thicknesses. Yeah. And so he thought he would be able to put one, two, three, four, and and, oh, wow. and being able to measure. Yeah. What he found was went right went through, right, right <laughs> through, and didn't stop. And so he began to investigate other things, and he found that there, as the density increased, then the stopping power to the X-rays increased. Mm. Um, he even took a picture of weights in a box. And he realized that it went through the wood, but the weights, the metal weights that were in the box were visible on a photographic plate. Wow. And this then be, gave him the idea that the photographic plates were the ideal way to investigate. And so this led, one thing led to another. And again, he's doing all this by himself. Yeah. <laughs> he is not letting his assistant in. His wife thinks he has probably gone a little nuts because <laughs> he is disappearing mm -hmm. and not reappearing yeah. every night. So he didn't even tell his wife what was going on? No. Wow. Well, what happened then was he decided that I bet... He, he saw when he would hold his hand over the x-ray plate that he was getting just a slight shadow of his hand on these x-ray plates as he held things underneath. And then he thought, well, maybe we could take a picture. And so who was he going to... He couldn't take a picture of himself because he was too busy doing all the things around him needed to do to get the um, x-ray to working correctly. So he brought his wife, Bertha, wow. to the lab. There you go. That's how she finds out. <laughs> and she had, she had never participated before, didn't know what he was doing. He simply told her, hold your hand <laughs> over top of the photographic plate for several minutes and be very quiet. And so... From that, you get the famous picture mm -hmm. uh, of her hand 
with a wedding ring mm -hmm. and you can see the wedding ring and it's her hand you see the bones and this is the first time that anybody had seen inside the body without them being dead right yeah <laughs> and uh, at that time when he showed her the picture the idea of skeleton was was mainly associated with death mm -hmm. and so she was completely blown out well, yeah. and would never set foot in his lab again. <laughs> so, as I said, he worked for six weeks and he had various, now developed various photographs of her hand, of um, other objects that he could take pictures of. And so in right around Christmas uh, of 1895, he wrote to the local uh, physiological society and said, I have a paper that I would like to have put in to your latest edition. Uh, and so he submitted that, but at the same time, he posted a copy of this with the photographs hmm. to a number of physicists in Europe, in London, Paris, Vienna, Berlin, uh, and sent them out on New Year's Eve uh, to get his priority established. So he sent he sent this to a bunch of journals or a bunch of just other col other uh, scientists? colleagues, okay. other scientists, some that he knew and some mm -hmm. that he knew by reputation. Yeah, and th that was just to establish like that. This is his work. Yeah, okay. this is what I've. This is yeah. what I've been doing. Yeah. yeah. And he wasn't, well, I, I guess he understood how much work it took to get all that. So he wasn't worried about someone scooping him after sending that out. No, no, no. But he, he was, um, he, he did this so that he established his precedent. And so um, what happened then is somebody released these photographs to a news journalist and they got published in the newspaper, and people saw this. And so within, I guess it was maybe by February, they were starting to use x-rays for diagnostic uh, determination of broken bones. So a month later. Yeah, within a month. Within a month, they were, yeah. they were already using x-rays to diagnose medically. Right. Like, wow, wow. And um, now, uh, Rankin won the first Nobel Prize in physics. Um, when they asked him for a quote, they, they said, what were you thinking when you were doing all this work? And he said, I did not think, I investigated. Great science quote right there. Yeah. <laughs> so, man, that's crazy to think that after just a month, they just were immediately, they saw the, you know, the practicality of it and right. immediately put it in a into into work I guess yes. so it was in hospitals and everything yeah um, now the one thing that happened is that they had no idea about the physical damage that yeah. x-rays could occur now Rankin uh, had his setup where he actually had a booth which had all the operating switches in that he would go to and used to use uh, when he was using the x-ray plus he would turn it off and on but some of the new other people 
that began using this did not do that. In fact, one of the first ways they determined how intense the beam, the x-ray beam was, is they would hold the back of their hand underneath the beam and count the seconds it took for it to turn red. Whoa. Oh my goodness. <laughs> uh, but within about several years, they already realized there has been some deaths of x-ray technicians. Yeah. <laughs> and so they realized the damage that it had to do. So, um, you know, start putting in uh, uh, precautions. Mm. And, and that's why when you go get your bite wings done, they lay lead apron over you. Yeah. And then they run around the wall, the, right. the wall <laughs> to press yeah. the button. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, man, that's crazy. They they used their own hand and just waited for it to get it, red. It, yeah, that was that was an early way they tested the intensity. Wow. Oh my goodness. So, how long did that take again? Like for them to start realizing, okay, maybe this is a little bit more dangerous than. Uh, it was a couple of years. A couple of years. So they yeah. were just, yeah. Well, I guess chronic it, exposure. I guess. Yeah, but I mean, it was that during World War One. Marie Curie ran these little, they were called little Curies, mm -hmm. but they were um, vehicles with x-ray machines in them. And I think there were, I, I've forgotten how many, but they were called little Curies. And she ran one of them, her daughter ran another, and they would go to wherever the, the battlefields and X-ray soldiers to get the to identify the sh shrapnel or broken oh, wow. bones, wow, and whatever. Wow, um, man. So yeah, it was. That's crazy how quick and how quickly they designed things to make it useful in that sense. Even having vehicles that had them. Wow. So, and like the, it also permeated not just like the medical field, right? It was like in everyday life too. Like, other than just when you went to the hospital with, like, shoes and things like that, when you get your shoes. They, they started looking at fitting of shoes. Mm -hmm. uh, they had uh, Thomas Edison. A lot of people think Thomas Edison was the one that discovered x-rays. Yeah, he stole a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he, he developed the, um, uh, I'm trying to remember what they called it, but it was basically a visual scope. Uh, with x-rays and the x-rays are running all the time oh, that you goodness. put your uh, body or your feet in them see how close they are to the front no you didn't have to feel your toes anymore you just had no. you could look through the scope wow that's crazy and you never used you never used one of those I, I've seen them I remember seeing them as uh, you know when I was growing up my parents never would let me put my feet in them. I wanted to. You wanted cause, to? Because <laughs> I wanted to see what my toes, yeah, you know, the bones yeah, in my, yeah. but they would never let me use it. Well, I, maybe once would have been okay, but if you no. were playing with it, maybe, well, are you yeah. happy they didn't let you do it then? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Man, yeah. wow. That's that's crazy. That's crazy how yeah. quickly it all came together and how they oh, yeah. thought they knew everything, I guess, at that point. Oh, one other thing yeah. I meant to mention about Rinkin is he did not patent Never patented. Never patented it because he wanted. He gave it to the world. Wow, so. I, I could never imagine a scientist doing that nowadays. <laughs> Probably, it's not. about there's so there's too much money wrapped up in it. Yeah. Imagine how much money he would have made if yeah. he patented that. Yeah, like especially how quick. But it, maybe it wouldn't have permeated through the medical field and everything as quickly if he patented it and all that yeah. stuff. So, well, so yeah. we're thankful for that. I guess, in a lot of ways. Wow, yeah. man, 
I don't think I would do that. <laughs> if I created something like or found figured something out like that, I probably would have patented it. But man, that's he, he, wow. Yeah, noble and, of him. Yeah. Yeah, and and so he did not benefit financially from the discovery. Did he? Did he? get a lot of lectures? Did he make money? Did he die poor? He donated the Nobel Prize to the university. Really? Yeah. Oh my goodness. This yeah. great guy. This is a yeah. great guy. Mm-hmm. Man, man. Wow. So he, so he just lived a normal life after that. Pretty much because he, you know, he won the Nobel Prize and turned down lecture, uh, turned down professorships at a number of large universities because he was happy where he was. Well, if you're happy, that's all you need, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Hey, great guy. Great guy. Great scientist. Great guy. <laughs> well, I guess that wraps up the first episode of the Rad Lab podcast, and hopefully we'll see you on the next one, and yeah, we'll see you next time.